You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. It is Monday... March 29th, 2021. This is episode 25 of season three, episode 90 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. You might be hearing a loud whirring through this microphone. I'm not sure if you'll pick it up on your end, but I can hear a noticeable difference. That sound is the sound of my two computers in this room mining for Bitcoin. So that is something that my brother helped me to set up yesterday. He helped me set it up on my computer. And then after he left and after me and the boys watched most of Godzilla, King of Monsters, I set it up on my wife's computer as well. Basically what it is is that I have two video cards that are pretty decent. They're not very top, top, top of the line, but they're pretty decent. Uh, the one that's in my computer is the third down from the most primo deluxe card you could get right now. Maybe, I say you can get, in theory, because in practice, they're extraordinarily difficult to find and very much overpriced. If you can find one, you probably will be paying twice to three times what MSRP is supposed to be. But that's what I've got in my machine. I've got a 3070, RTX 3070. And then in my wife's machine, we've got an RTX 2070. And that's just well, that's just fine. You know, that's what she needs in order to do the things that she's doing on that computer. That's what I need on this one in order to do the things that I'm doing on this computer. But I didn't buy these video cards to mine Bitcoin, just to be clear. I bought these so that my boys and myself can play games that are going to require that level of graphical processing unit. I like playing Civilization VI, for instance, with my sons when they're interested in it. I like playing Valheim here lately. And I there's just something about having to turn the settings down. I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like having that feeling that this could have been more beautiful. This could have been more immersive. This could have been more awe-inspiring. And your machine was the limiting factor, right? It just couldn't handle it. So I don't like that. And if I can possibly at all tweak my machine to where it's going to be able to run the stuff that I want to run at tip-top shape, then I'm going to do that within reason, obviously. You know, I, I didn't buy a 3090 for my machine and a 3090 for my wife's machine. I don't have that much, that kind of money lying around. I, you know, we're talking thousands of dollars for those cards again if you could find them. There's a long waiting list that I'm just not patient enough to get on and stay on. So this 3070 popped up and lo and behold it was MSRP, it was 550. Uh, my brother tells me I could sell this card in my machine right now for 1200 But I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to hold on to it. Right now, 
it is making me money. Or I should say it's making me crypto money. According to NiceHash, it's making me about $4.60 a day worth of Bitcoin at current levels of complexity for the problems that have to be solved by this card and also at the current value of Bitcoin. I had everything set up yesterday afternoon and evening and through the night, my mining operation netted how much? $3? Let's see here. Oh, it looks like the website's in maintenance mode, so it might not tell me. I think it was $3, just overnight. All that was required was that I leave my computers up, I leave the software running, we downloaded nice hash, I set up an account, got everything connected between the two machines so that they are synced up with my nice hash account. I got my rigs tweaked to where I turned the power down, turned the fans up, overclocked the memory, and then monitored to see how does it do. Did the benchmarking to make sure that it's stable, and then I just let it run. Let it run all night, and I'm going to let it run all day. I'm just not going to put my computers to sleep, and it might wear my graphics cards out sooner. It might wear my machines out sooner. I'll have to do more maintenance, especially with the two 140-millimeter fans that I just installed extra on my computer to increase cooling. I've ordered another additional two fans to install on my wife's computer, 140-millimeter like mine. They will hopefully be quieter, and if they're quieter enough, I might get some of those from my machine as well, just to have it overall be a quieter experience mining. If these are going to be running all the time, I don't want them to be noisy all the time. I'd like them to be fairly nondescript, under the radar, forget about them, especially if I'm in a podcast. But for right now, for this episode where I'm telling you all about it, I don't mind you hearing those fans in the background and realizing that that is the sound of money being made. Now, $4.27 per day might not sound like a whole lot, but $4.27 per day is roughly $120 a month. That's roughly, what, quick math, almost $1,500 a year for my computer just sitting here solving math problems, encrypting, decrypting, blockchain, all that. So if I have the choice to either A, have my computer sitting here running idle, making no money, or sitting here running idle and making some money, which do you think I should choose? I should probably choose the making money option. I Wouldn't you say? I mean, that, that seems like seems like a no-brainer. I, I was thinking it was going to be very difficult, very time-consuming to figure out. I don't have time to figure it out, especially these days. But it just so happened that my brother volunteered. He offered. I had a RTX 2070 that some water had been spilled on by my dear sweet children. And so that was sitting in a box. That's actually why I ended up getting the 3070 when I did. Uh, my brother... Luckily enough, 
offered to help me search for one, and he found one. And that 3070 is in my machine, and the old 2070 is now with him because he offered to trade his two older fans for my video card that I have no use for that's just taking up space. I have no intention. I have no time to work up the intention to try and resurrect that video card. I don't even know where to begin on that. I don't have the time to do the research. So if he wants it, he can have it. He can see what he can do with it. Maybe he'll get it going again. He can have that one mining as well, in addition to his current rig. He's got a 3080, I believe it is. Either a 3080 or a 3090. Maybe it's a 3090. In any event, that is what is up with that. I think that cryptocurrency is an interesting recent development. Some people seem uncomfortable with it in the same spirit that they would feel uncomfortable with taking a check from a mafioso. Where did this money come from? Is this good money? Is this dirty money? Is this a fake bill? Is this fraudulent? Am I engaging in something untoward if I participate? Especially when it very first started, that was the feel from all the people that I was overhearing. What is this? This doesn't seem legitimate. There was pushback from government people that this is a way for people in crime to launder money, to move it around without being tracked and traced. That's not good, and so we shouldn't allow people to do this. We should shut it down. So a number of people thought that was exciting, and so they jumped into it, and a number of people thought that that was scary, and they jumped out of it. And if you had 10 Bitcoin 10 years ago, you would right now have half a million dollars, over half a million dollars. If you had bought 10 Bitcoin when it was scary, it would have been very profitable for you right now. And right now, it's more acceptable, especially when people like Elon Musk drop a lot of money and promote Bitcoin. You have big names saying, no, this is legit. I'm going to invest in that. All of a sudden, it's not so scary. And I think that is a head-scratcher. It is for me, anyway. Why are we waiting for some big-name person, supposed big-name person, who's courageous and an entrepreneur and a trailblazer, why are we waiting for that person to get out in front and to try it first and to reap most of the rewards and then tell us if it's safe after that oyster has been shucked and all that's left is the remnants why are we waiting for the bandwagon to come around the block again to pick us up? Is it because the trailblazers are some other species of being than we are? They are inherently better, wiser, purer, more noble? I suppose if we so choose, they are, but... I don't find that compelling. I don't think we should so choose. Even less so with regards to a bandwagon. I'm not sold on bandwagons. I think that bandwagons 
as often as not, don't know where the hell they're going. And when they do know where they're going, and it's not a good place, they just as quickly fall apart and then go some other silly place until they figure out that's not good either. I think it's all right on some things to not be the first mouse. Sometimes we need to be the early bird who gets the worm, but sometimes we need to be the second mouse that gets the cheese, and that's fine. You let somebody else try it out and take that risk because maybe they're more desperate than you are and you have it pretty good and you have too much to lose, not enough to gain relative what you have to lose. And so you're going to let somebody else be the first one. And if they get most of the profit, great. They took most of the risk. And you'll get less profit, but also less risk. And that's fine. And you've done the math and that's what you want to do. We can't be the first for everything. But on the other hand, I don't like the extent to which so many people seem, in my estimation, to naively trust the person in front of them. And I've studied enough psychology to know the effect that social cohesion, conformity, groupthink, the bystander effect, diffusion of responsibility. I know how much those things can skew people's judgment and act as a kill switch for critical thinking. Now, I don't think that we should embrace critical thinking as if it's always a good thing. Whatever we would call critical thinking is always going to be for our good, for our benefit, for the collective well-being of those around us. Critical thinking sometimes is a euphemism for scoffing. I scoff at everything. I'm cynical. I'm jaded. I mock every virtuous, beautiful, innocent claim or sentiment. And that's my critical thinking. Are you a critical thinker or are you a jerk? That's the question I have to ask myself sometimes. Am I being critical thinker? Am I being objective about this? Am I being measured? Am I being wise? Or am I just being mean? Am I jerking the chain? But that said, on the whole, critical thinking is something we have to know how to do. And I realize we only have so much time in the day. We only have so many things we can think about at a time. We have to prioritize even there too. How much can I really afford to be second-guessing, to be double-checking, to be doing my own math on all the time? That is a judgment call. But call me silly. When I see the majority of people in any group going a certain direction, doing a certain thing, saying a certain thing, acting a certain way, embracing a certain product idea, notion, attitude, I become very wary very quickly because I know all too often that can take a bad turn. It can take a wrong turn. And it, on the one hand, can mean people aren't looking out for threats because it's just easier to follow the crowd 
They're not looking out for that lion in the tall grass stalking up on them, their fellow gazelle, their fellow zebra, or zebra. You say potato, I say potato. Also, opportunities aren't necessarily apprehended as easily when we're just going along with the crowd. We see this thing here and we think, oh, well, that's wonderful. Let's all be excited about that. Yeah, but you could have done that over there and that would have been more profitable and had less side effects and you didn't even notice it because you were too distracted by the shiny object over here. The shiny object being that most of the people involved were excited. That was enough of a shiny object that there was a critical mass of enthusiasm. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't give enough credit to the value, the practical benefit in the crowd being on board with something. It's like a wave. And if you're a surfer, it can be exciting to surf that wave. One of the big struggles that I have in podcasting, in writing, in publishing a book is that I have this really strong psychological pull, urge, compulsion, I don't know what you call it, aversion. And where it manifests itself is in marketing. I don't like marketing. I really don't. I realize that marketing is a necessary thing and that some people have to do it. And the people that do it, and they do it honestly and they do it well, God bless them but I am not them. I'm not them, and I just, I can't do it unless, unless I really, really, truly believe in what it is that I am marketing and that it's going to be a benefit to people. And I don't know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a thing, right? Like with regards to my work, my podcasting, my writing, maybe I don't fully believe in it. And just because it's my work, it's something I've produced. I'm reluctant to promote it. I think there's also an element of not wanting to be egotistical and puffed up and conceited, but there's also some insecurity. There's also some aversion to marketing in general. I watched Century of the Self by the BBC on YouTube. It was this BBC documentary series, miniseries, from several years ago, from the 2000s, I believe it was, early 2000s, about Edward Bernays in particular and the rise of marketing and public relations and mass psychology in shaping our perceptions in the past 100, 150 years, shaping our perception of politicians, of products, of ourselves, our families, communities, our nation, the world, everything, everything. And never with the direct sell, not for those who were skillful. Those who were skillful go as indirect as possible and they go as primal as possible. You suggest rather than overtly stating, hey, buy this car. Mm, oh, no, 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 no. You can't say that. Well, that's what I want them to do. No, no, no. You can't say buy this car. You have to associate this car with the happiest they will ever be. 
this euphoric, dreamlike state. If they own this car, they will always be in that state. They will always be unmitigatedly blissful and successful, and they will be thought well of, and everyone will know how strong and sexy and intelligent and sophisticated they are because they drive this thing, this piece of metal, instead of those over there, instead of last year's model, instead of that brand. They're going to drive it in this color, in this way, in these places, for this amount of money. And we're going to give all of that to them very indirectly. So I watched this documentary, and then I was inspired from that to read Edward Bernays's book, Propaganda. And it wasn't the first time I had been introduced to the concept of using psychology to effectively manipulate people. Bernays thought people were really stupid. And I did a podcast episode on this several months ago, back when I first watched the series. If you want to go back and look for the episode, it was, let's see here, I'll pull up my list of episodes. Edward Bernays and Propaganda, episode 40, or episode 5 of season 2. That was November 2nd of last year. If you want to listen to more about Edward Bernays and Propaganda. But really, really, really don't like the idea of manipulating people. I don't like it. I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want to manipulate other people. I want to just tell it straight. And if that seems good to them, then they do it. And if it doesn't seem good to them, whether it really is good for them, then I'll just internalize the guilt or whatever. (laughs) I'll just take it personally that I didn't communicate clearly enough the merits of this thing. But I want to shoot straight. I want to shoot straight and I want to have a good conscience so that I don't feel like whether it's for people's benefit or not, they feel misled. I don't want that. I don't want that for their sake. I don't want it for my sake. But the risk you run in approaching things that way is you write a book, you blog, you podcast, and all of a sudden you're reluctant to just go around banging a drum saying, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, watch this, watch this, watch this, read this, read this, read this. It's really great. It's really fantastic. You're going to be a happy person, successful, smart, strong. I mean, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, that's that's the funny thing, right? Like, the funny thing is, I want that to be genuinely true. I want, when you listen to this podcast, for you to come away having a better grasp of what is true and how to act accordingly. I want you to get wisdom here and for it to benefit you and for it to comfort you and for it to encourage you. I want you to be stronger, a stronger person mentally, emotionally. I want you to be a stronger person relationally, to have stronger relationships with the people that matter, to be able to do conflict well when there is conflict, but also to be able to love well. How do we love one another well? That's what we're called to. That's what we're commanded to. How do we flesh that out? How do we achieve greater faithfulness to that, better stewardship? How do we embody that command that God in Christ Jesus gave us? That's what I want 
for you is I want you to be able to listen to this and for it to have benefited you, to edified you, to built you up. I want it to have made you a stronger, better, faster person. But as soon as I say that, there's this this internal alarm bell goes off. Wait a second, Garrett. Mm, should you be saying that? Even if it's true, should you should you be saying that as a self-promotion? Is that manipulation? Are you trying to sell them something that you can't deliver? Or if you can deliver, maybe it needs to be a little subtler. Well, if it's too subtle, if it's too subtle as... My close friends and family tell me it goes right over people's heads. I think I'm being very artful, and most people have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> it happens with my sense of humor, too. I, sometimes I think I need to laugh just to let people know I was joking. It's not that I'm trying to laugh at my own joke and be self-impressed, but it's like, and that was so dry and it was so subtle that if I don't laugh here, that person's going to think I'm either really, really mean or crazy because that made no sense apart from my just thinking the absurdity of it was obvious and delightful. I do find something delightful in the absurd. And maybe that's part of why I keep on doing this thing, even though I dislike self-promotion. It worries me. I used to be rather egotistical. You probably can't imagine, but I was very egotistical in high school. And what it really came down to is I was very insecure. I was insecure because I had gotten teased, picked on, and bullied at a summer camp, a Bible camp of all places. It was just a miserable week for me. I hated it. I got picked on and bullied the first year I played baseball. That just kind of a, a rough crowd of kids on my team, and they mocked me mercilessly the whole season for being homeschooled. And I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know how to handle it. I was just a babe in the woods. And it took a while, but I eventually figured out how to not let that mocking and hazing and ridicule bring me down. And I don't know that the way that I figured it out was so wonderful, so so great, because it presented other problems. I rearranged the furniture in my mind and in my heart, and it wasn't quite right either, but in a different direction for a different reason. All of a sudden, I'm going to make fun of me before they are. I'm going to beat them to the punchline, and I'm going to laugh harder and longer than they do to where they forget that they were the ones who were going to make fun of me. They think I'm the one who made fun of me, and they're laughing with me instead of laughing at me. And isn't that better? Isn't that nice? Maybe. Maybe it is. Or maybe that was just a form of saying, you can't fire me, I quit. You can't destroy my self-esteem. Only I can do that. I'm going to do it. You can't tear me down. I'll tear me down. So then I'm the one undermining my credibility, my confidence. I think if any two experiences growing up caused me to be pro-homeschooling and anti-public education, it was, on the one hand, that one year going to Bible camp, 
And on the other hand, it was that one year playing baseball. Because I was surrounded by public school kids who were maladjusted and ignorant and mean. And that was normal where they came from, as they saw it. And I was enthusiastic and curious and genuine and sincere. And it made them feel uncomfortable. So they wanted to destroy it. And they were okay with destroying it because it was a bandwagon. Once everybody jumps on the bandwagon, it's no one person's fault if you make this kid miserable, bully him. We get to share that responsibility or guilt or whatever. I think that it is not so good that in high school I became so self-deprecating and so artificial because I just so desperately wanted everybody to like me. And so I figured out how to act, how to put up a facade, how to be whatever the group of people I was in wanted to see and wanted to hear. And I got really good at it, and everybody liked me. The jocks, when they came into the YMCA and I was the fitness instructor, called me sir. Very respectful. The nerds and the geeks wanted to start businesses with me in which we would build custom computers for people because I knew about computer science. I knew how to do that. The drama people told me I should have won the lead role in the musical. They wanted to hang out, give me recommendations for movies. We got along great. The choir kids, the band kids, got along just fine with them as well because I could sing. The Bible nerds, I knew all kinds of Bible trivia. We could talk about that. Even the atheists. I got along with the atheists because I would debate them. You want to debate about whether God exists and if Dawkins is right, if there's validity to Darwin's theory, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Nobody knew me, really. I had a good reputation until all of a sudden I didn't. And I think there's a part of me that it's just afraid to be disappointed in people. If I start feeling myself getting, what, the wind beneath my wings, in my sails, at my back, if I start feeling that people are speaking well of me, I beware, as the Proverbs say. Beware when men speak well of you. Isn't that a funny thing? It's almost as if the writer of Proverbs understood Sometimes people are fickle, and you shouldn't trust them. Love them, but trust God, and love people because you trust God, not because you trust people. Love people knowing that they are going to hurt you, and they're going to disappoint you sometimes, and they're not always going to make sense of the things that they decide to do and to say and to be. Love them doesn't mean you have to affirm them, doesn't mean you have to Give yourself over to them in every situ- every situation. But it does mean you can't entirely avoid people getting close enough to do damage. Not if you're going to be faithful to what God has called you to. There was an interesting sermon yesterday talking a lot about trust. Reading through the very last few verses of First Peter. Where Peter is closing his letter and saying that 
he wrote the letter by Sylvanus. And it's interesting the way that Mike Bunnell, one of the pastors at Summit View Community Church, took the passage, and by took I mean where it inspired his train of thought to make a, a change of track or what have you. Slight deviation, but not really. You have people in your life that you can trust yourself to, and how do you decide which ones are trustworthy, which ones make it easy for you to work with them, to include them, to confide in them? Great question. Great question. I'm looking at my post-it note on my monitor. It says, stop saying anyways, so I'm not going to. I almost did, but I stopped. That's all I got for today. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com. Hello, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM, and also chief editor and writer at On The Rocks blog since 2015. I have just published my first book. It is available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com right now. Are you thinking about homeschooling? Is someone you know considering it? No shortage of books will help you figure out how to do it. This is a book about why you should. Written from the perspective of a homeschooling father of seven who was himself homeschooled growing up, this is an encouragement to fathers and mothers to think rightly about their children's education. What our children believe about God, themselves, one another, and the universe, these are all features of their education, and the worldview our children develop is downstream of the sort of education they receive. And this is why we homeschool. Maybe you are a parent of homeschooling children and you could use some encouragement. Perhaps your local school shut down and now remote learning or homeschooling has been forced on you. Now you could use some help finding motivation to make the best of it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member considering homeschooling their children. Rather than starting you off with another home education how-to, let us start with why we homeschool. And as we figure out the reasons we should do this thing, the way to do it will be made far easier. Just go right on over to Amazon.com and type in, and this is why we homeschool in the search results. It'll come right up. Order your copy today.